So before I read uh, today's text, I want to pray about two things. Uh, one is uh, kind of in line with uh, what Emily just talked about. So um, it may not seem like it. Um, in fact, you probably are going to some of you are probably going to react negatively to what I'm about to tell you because you, you don't believe this. But that won't be the first time nor the last time. Um, but the pandemic is actually waning. Did you know that? OK, now I, I, I tell you that not to tell you, do not take your mask off. Do not go hug that person you haven't seen in a year or any of that kind of stuff. But I just want to be clear about that. It is waning. Praise God. That's a great thing. Um, we need energy to continue to do the stuff we need to do to make sure not only that it's waning, that it is eradicated. So that that's pretty important that we would pray and, and do that. The other thing to think about that is, you know, I hear people, I hear this word normal all the time. And it's a dumb word. And I'll, I'll, I know what you mean, and I understand, you know, returning to, to normal. But instead of saying return to normal, let's think about what life is going to be like post-pandemic. That's a better way to think about it, I think, than the normal. Because, um, yeah, there, I, just there's a whole lot of stuff about normal. I think we know what we mean when we say that. But I think it would be better to think... What's life going to be like post-pandemic? So let's pray towards that, right? You know, think about that. What's our life going to look like? What's your family going to be like? What's, what's you know, your, your uh, uh, what's Jesus going to be doing in your life post-pandemic? That sort of thing. So start thinking and praying about that. And the second thing is, you know, uh, as we, we mentioned, the, the session uh, wrote the pastoral letter. It's on the website. We're going to have those forms this week. A thing to keep in mind as, as we do that is this coming week, uh, the trials begin in Minnesota. Uh, uh, jury selection, I think, for the, uh, uh, um, the officer who was uh, involved in, in uh, killing George Floyd. I think the uh, jury selection begins tomorrow. So we should pray about that and we should pray for peace and justice. We should pray for righteousness. We should pray for protection, right? And so I think it's important to do that. And I, I think it's also to remember that, you know, when you when you have an event and then, you know, a year, nine months, whatever later, you have a trial, um, that's, that can be very traumatic, right? So I think we should pray about that too. So in light of those things, let me pray and then we'll read the text. Lord, we, uh, as uh, Emily just reminded us today, it's so good for us to know that you want us to pray. You want uh, to hear from us. Uh, and so, Lord, I pray that that would move us to pray, not not just out of discipline or just out of uh, uh, our need, but the fact that you invite us, you welcome us, you are glad to hear from us. And so I pray that that would move us today to pray. Lord, we, you know, uh, we've been at this now for a year and uh, it's been hard and challenging. Uh, it is uh, scary and hard to walk through this year of the pandemic and all of those things that have come as a result of that. I pray, Lord, that you would give us the energy we need to uh, uh, see uh, this thing through, see the uh, virus completely eradicated 
And I pray, too, Lord, that you would start giving us a vision for what post-pandemic life will be like, how you would get glory, how you might use us. Would you do that? And, Lord, we, we pray for this upcoming trial. We pray for justice. We pray for peace. We pray for protection. We pray for mercy. Uh, Lord, we pray for your glory. And we pray for your sovereignty to be manifest. Lord, uh, I confess that these things are 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 too big for me to fully understand and uh, to see and to, to know. And so uh, it's not a cop-out for me to say uh, I need to trust you, I need to cry out to you, and I need to see you do your work uh, in and through uh, this, uh, this situation. Uh, Lord, all justice comes from you, all mercy comes from you, all peace comes from you, all protection comes from you. And so we, we, we recognize that and we ask you to, uh, uh, to be at work and to heal and uh, to do uh, what only you can do. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So Philippians, we're up to Philippians 3, verses 20 through 21. The text is uh, uh, in the bulletin and also up on the screens behind me. This is God's word. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So uh, one of the things, uh, Luke, you can go ahead and put my notes up there. One of the things that's important for us to understand is that Paul is addressing something essential, and that is, where do we belong? Where's our citizenship? Of what? A group of what place are we a part and are we identified, right? It is, that's such an important thing. And, you know, one of the great things about our location, one of the great things about where we are here as a congregation is we, we get the experience of walking through with so many of our brothers and sisters that live in the neighborhood around here to get to the point of, of citizenship in America. It's a great thing. You know, it is a it is a wonderful thing. And I, I you know, the, the more we do that, the more the more awesome it is. And the and and, and the, the you know, just a, what a what a tremendous thing God does when he brings people here and uh, they become a part of our church. They become part of the country. I mean, it is and, and all the rights and privileges and responsibilities that come with that. That's a that's a great thing. One of the things that we have to recognize about that is, though, that any kind of any any kind of thing that on your passport that says you're a citizen of America or you're a citizen of Congo or you're a citizen of South Sudan or you're wherever wherever you might be a citizen. The the reality is, if you are in Christ today, uh, your passport says that you are a citizen of heaven. And that trumps everything else that is bigger than everything else than that, that that trains us. That idea trains us as we think about who we are. And what our responsibilities are in the here and now, even though our citizenship is somewhere else in another time, in another place, it helps us. In fact, it directs us about how we live now. Uh, and that is so important for us to understand. Now, Paul is using language here when he says this about citizenship that's very pointed. The people in Philippi, uh, the, the city of Philippi was viewed in many ways like a little Rome. Right. It was populated largely by retired and former soldiers and officials from the Roman Empire. 
And all of those people counted their citizenship uh, in Rome as something really valuable, something really important, something that really marked them. It was a point of pride for them. And so this was this when he calls this out, he is saying, listen, hey, all of you Roman citizens, he was a Roman citizen as well. All of you recognize that your true citizenship, your eternal citizenship, the citizenship that marks you, that matters most is that your citizenship is in heaven. I can imagine when he read that in front of the in, in front of that congregation, there was probably some talk because the fact is to to say that your primary citizenship was not Roman might have been even a, a, a bit dangerous. Right. And and not only that, that, but to say that where we our first and foremost allegiance lies, not here to this uh, political entity, not here to this particular uh, 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 location would have been something really radical, right? And maybe even subversive. So where do you belong, right? But not only does he does he challenge us about that and teach us to that this understanding of our citizenship trains us for how we live now. He goes on to say that our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior. Then that language savior, you know, that word there for savior, as I wrote in Wednesday's uh, uh, churchwide email, is a word that we would think is, you know, that we would associate it with church, right? But Paul doesn't use the word savior very often. He uses the word Lord way more than he uses the word savior. And there's some interesting history behind that. You know, we we see this word savior. We, you know, if you if you grew up in the south and you you drove out in the country, sooner or later you're going to see a sign that says Jesus saves, right? Praise the Lord. That's 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 a it's pretty tremendous thing to see and be reminded of, right? But but what what often you know in in Philippi I, I I'm sure there were signs and places uh, that said Caesar saves. For over a hundred years it had been proclaimed in the Roman Empire that Caesar was the savior of mankind. That was not something that was unusual. Now now we hear that and we think those first century people they were so ignorant they were so so. Pre-scientific, so so unsophisticated that they could say that somebody other than Jesus could be their savior. We would never do that, ever. We're much more spiritually mature. We're much smarter than that, right? Now I don't know about you, but I am grasping the the world's a scary place. There's much about it that is challenging and difficult. And so I'm looking for a savior wherever I can get him, right? We are always thinking that if we could just get the right person or the right policy or the right medicine or the right vaccine placed in the right place at the right time, everything would be okay. And that, in fact, you know, real peace is going to come through in in the world through uh, the people that we elect, that they will be our saviors and that they will erect policies that will save us. Well, they may, there may be better policies and better leaders than others, but I am here to tell you today that there is only one savior who can save you from sin and death. 
There's only one Savior who can deliver us from that force that has been sweeping across our planet since our first parents fell. And that is Jesus Christ. And any other Savior that we look to, no matter what they may promise, no matter what good thing they may offer to us, the truth of the matter is that thing ultimately will disappoint us. Every human Savior Every created Savior, everything that we look to to give to us what only Jesus can give to us, God in his mercy crashes it and burns it for us. Right? And that's a good thing. It's not that these things are bad or that, but when we begin to look at any created thing to give to us only what Jesus can do, the hope, the assurance, the reality that sin and death will lose their hold on us once and for all, that that once whenever we give ourselves to something else, uh, it's good that God crushes that and disappoints us. So He says here that we uh, uh, our citizenship is in heaven, and we uh, from it we await a, a Savior. So what does waiting look like? I don't know about you, but I'm I do not wait very well. Patience is a fruit of the spirit. That looks less like a plum and more like a prune in my life. It's pretty dried up. I do not like to wait and uh, I take it personally if I have to wait. Uh, I, um, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't like it. I'm, I'm a very impatient person and, and, and because waiting seems too passive to me and it seems like I'm not in control, which is probably why it's such a good thing for me to wait. But the, the, the reality is when we read this, we think that here's the church. We proclaim Jesus Christ as Savior. We proclaim him as Lord. And then what we do is we sit around here and we wait in God's waiting room until Jesus shows up. But this word here for waiting is something that is, is connected to we wait as citizens of heaven. We wait as citizens of this one who is going to come and redeem and restore and renew this creation once and for all. So what does waiting look like? Does it look like reading Sports Illustrated in the, in the, sitting in a leather sofa somewhere? Does it, does it look like playing on our phone until we get to the real thing? No, it doesn't look like that at all. This is what it looks like. Next slide, please, Luke. Um, when you see people taking care of the vulnerable and the weak, protecting the unborn, caring for widows and orphans, acting on what is good and right and true, giving to the poor, speaking edifying words to one another, outdoing one another and showing honor, show no, showing no partiality or racism, putting the needs of others ahead of their own, we should think, this looks like my home, heaven. Sometimes you read the Gospels and you see Jesus going about healing people and you see him uh, giving sight to the blind and allowing the lame to walk and even raising the dead. And you think, wow, Jesus is kind of showing off there, isn't he? He wants everybody to know who he is, that he's the very son of God with the power to do these things. And you know what? That is very true. They certainly testify to him, but they testify to something else, too. What they testify to is the, the, the dead are raised. Now, the gospel of truth is preached. 
the, the blind receive sight and the lame walk. You know what that's a picture of? That's a picture of what Jesus Christ came to live, that he came to, to live and to die and, and rose again from the dead to bring to our planet. That that is normal life. Normality, if you want to see what normality is, in, in God's economy is no more lameness, no more blindness, no more virus, no more sin, no more death. That is normal. That is what God created this world to be. And so when Jesus would, would do a miracle, he wasn't just sitting, simply showing off. He's saying, this, this is what I came to do, and this is what the world will look like. This is, this is real life. This is reality. This is what heaven is like. This is what the new heavens and the new earth will be like. So wherever you see this happening, wherever you see small groups of Christians who, who look weak, because they are weak, who look like they're failing, because they often do fail. But when the gospel is proclaimed, when the work of healing and protecting the weak and the sick and the unborn, when the truth of the gospel is proclaimed, when, when people are welcomed and cared for in the name of Jesus Christ, what do we see happening there? That should remind us, yeah, that right there looks like home to me. That smells like my mama's kitchen. That, that smells like where I'm, 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 where I'm from and where I'm going. Uh, recently, as, as I've gotten older, uh, I've kind of decided, you know, there are things that I grew up eating that I haven't eaten in the last 37 years because, because they are unacceptable in my house because of the way they smell. Right? I grew up eating collard greens several times a week, you know. And, and, and Marty's like, you know, they make the house stink. I'm like, I love that stink. You know, that, that stink smells like, smells like home. And so, so recently I've been eating collard greens. And the other thing that I've done, uh, one of my favorite meals when I was a kid, and this is going to gross some of you out, and you're going to say, no wonder you're only 5'3 and you look the way you do. That's what you grew up eating. We, my mom would make cornbread and, uh, we, uh, since we milked our own cows and we had our own milk, we had, we had an unending supply of, of buttermilk. And so I used to take cornbread and buttermilk, crumble the cornbread up in a bowl, pour the buttermilk on it, and get in a plate of pinto beans that had been cooked with fat back. And that was my favorite meal as a kid. In fact, one year when I was a kid, my, my parents said, what do you want in your stocking this year? And I was like, uh, you know, I want uh, uh, pinto beans and cornbread. Well, a glass of buttermilk. Could you get that in the? Could, could you get that in the, in the stocking there, Dad? So, I've realized a couple of weeks ago, Marty and Madeline were fixing something at the house, and they had to get some buttermilk. And I'm like, Hey, we got buttermilk in the house. We never have that. I'm gonna go get some greens, and we're go- you're gonna make me some cornbread. I'm gonna get some pinto beans, and you know, I'm gonna waft back into you know thinking that this is, you know, what I used to do when I was nine years old. You see how sweet that is? When, when we see that and we understand that, that's exactly what God's doing here. When, when the church 
waiting, looking forward to uh, this coming of the Savior. And, and, and as we do that, we recognize that our citizenship is in heaven and we act like citizens of heaven. These are the things that happen. And so we should look around us. And when we see that happening, we see people behaving in that way. We see the gospel having its fruit in people's lives. We should say, that looks like heaven. That makes me want to get there. That makes me glad that that God is doing that work in and through his people, right? And that's exactly what Paul's getting at here as we wait, right? But not only that, that we who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Next slide, please, Luke. So so the the, the thing that we have to say, see about this is, is that God is about the business of changing us, changing this world. And when he does that kind of work in and through us and we see heaven breaking through in this world now, it should remind us that the day will come when Jesus Christ will return and all of us will have these old bodies, this physical world that has been affected and marred by sin will be overcome and renewed by the redeeming power of Jesus Christ. That's what we live for. That's what we look forward to. That's our hope. And that animates all that we do in the here and now. And so you and I should recognize the fact that this body that we have, it's, it's, is, um, it's, as the, as Paul says here, it's actually a kind of a humiliated body. I remember when we first moved to the West End and our kids were growing up, we decided, you know, they, they need to be on the summer swim team at least a few years because, you know, as Marty says, swimming is the only sport that'll save your life. And so, so we need they need to be competent uh, in the water. And so we joined a pool, you know, and you go to the pool. And one of the things you learn when you go to the pool in the summer is there are not many glorious bodies in the West End of Richmond. All right. People who think they got glorious bodies. And I please no body image comments. Right. I mean, I'm everybody's wonderful and beautiful. But the truth, the truth of the matter is this body is affected by sin and it's breaking down. I'm amazed as our congregation ages at the number of people who have new joints, new hips, new knees, new shoulders, new valves. (laughs) Well, when Jesus comes back, you get a new everything, and it won't ever wear out. You see, when we think about heaven, we tend to think about it as this just kind of spiritual reality. But, but Jesus came in the flesh, and when he comes again, he will come in the flesh, a glorious flesh. It's kind of mysterious, don't know what it's all going to be like, but we know this, that we'll be like him. Because we'll see him, he'll see us, we'll be with him. And Jesus, just as he set foot on this earth and walked it, he'll set foot on it again. And that's what we look forward to. Now, now the truth is, the, the reality is that this is our hope and this is what we lean towards and we get glimpses of it here and there. Do not lose hope. It seems like the not yet of this uh, promise is more powerful than the now. It seems to us often, too, right, that we think, I, I believe this about Jesus, but when's it going to happen? When's he going to bring it about here? When, when, when is this going to happen? Well, I'm, I'm here to tell you today that the, the, the reality is that this, what this text tells us is uh, that he will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. You see, your hopelessness is rooted in the fact and your impatience 
and your fatigue is rooted in the fact that you are tempted to believe that whatever that is that keeps the glory of Christ from having its way in your life is more powerful than he is. Your infertility, your loneliness, your brokenness, your temptations are more powerful. And so as you wait in patience for Jesus Christ to bring about the full redemption, we are are tempted to think that this not yet, yes, not yet, is more powerful than the now, or is not as powerful as the now, and that this struggle that we have is more powerful than Jesus. But what Jesus wants you to know today is that he is Lord. And there is no sin, no power, no death. None of that stuff that is as powerful as he is. And that Paul will go on to write in the next chapter that the day will come where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And everyone will see it and everyone will recognize that. When we say that every knee will bow, we mean everything. There are no atoms or molecules in the universe that will not be acting in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we look forward to. And that's what we lean into. Listen, folks. Christ will come again. Um, one of the things that we've done over the pandemic, and Ann and Kristen have worked really hard to see this happen. We have a number of little boys around here who play on basketball teams. And, and they needed gyms to practice in. And so they've been able to practice in our gym downstairs. You know, that was one of my bucket list goals for life and ministry was to pastor a church that has a gym because, you know, basketball, Jesus, the gospel, you know, those, it's, it's so important. Um, and so these little boys have been able to, to play in our gym and uh, they wrote, uh, two of them wrote me thank you notes this week. Uh, sweetest thing. And I was looking at them thinking, you know, the day's going to come when they're, one of them's on Sports Center, and they're going to say, Tucker, man, how, how'd you get to be so good at basketball? I owe it all to Pastor Shelby. <laughs> he let me use the gym, you know. That's where I shot my thousand jumpers a day, you know. That's how I, that's how I did this. That's so dumb. But anyway, they, They wrote these thank you notes, and I was just looking, and I'm like, this is really good. You know, it's great to see thank you notes written by little boys with in pencil. And then I read one that said, Christ will come again. That's how he signed off his letter. Christ will come again. I've been staring at that letter all week. It's posted over in the workroom of the office. You know, I, I end my letters with warmly, which is kind of a lie because I'm not a very warm person. <laughs> and so I've been thinking about it would probably be more truthful to say Christ will come again, and that would be better, right? That that would actually say something that's true and hopeful, <laughs> right? Drew, Christ will come again. That's our hope. Jim, Christ will come again. That's our hope. Mary, Jesus is coming again. That's our hope. We rest in that. We proclaim, and we proclaim that. And we live and we minister 
in the full assurance that this Lord, who will subject all things to himself, will come again and renew. Death will be no more. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you today for this promise that you gave through your apostle. And we thank you for the reality that uh, even though sometimes we're confused about it, the truth is that our citizenship is in heaven. Would you uh, sink that deep into our hearts and lives and move us as we wait, eagerly waiting, eagerly anticipating, and eagerly ministering in your name for you to come and to make all that you lived, died, and rose again, uh, to bring all, all, all of those blessings, all of that tremendous work, and the submission to you that we will see in all of creation. Would you bring it? Sweep our planet, sweep our hearts. Uh, Lord Jesus, even so, come quickly. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's confess our sins together. Um, and I have, since I've already prayed this once today, we confess that we have merely hope for relief. Though you promise. Okay, that is though you promise. I thought, at first I thought it was through your transformation, but it is though you promise. That is right, isn't it? Okay. He does from. I, I think I've heard a sermon about that. That's right. Okay. Okay. Let's pray. Let's uh, join with me in, in prayer. Heavenly Father, we confess that we have too often forgotten that we are yours. We have not lived in expectation of your kingdom. Lord Jesus Christ, you are coming again in power, and all things are subject to you. We confess that we have merely hoped for relief, though you promise transformation and glory. Forgive our calculated efforts to follow you only when we judge it convenient, only when we assume it safe, only with those who make it easy. In your tender kindness, forgive us our sin. May your Holy Spirit fill our hearts with the joyful expectation of seeing our King soon and face to face. Amen.
believers hear these words of encouragement. You were once separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Please stand with us as we worship.